Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Learn to Lead podcast brought to you by Ability, an experiential learning company based in beautiful Austin, Texas. I'm your host, Matthew Confer, and today on the show, we have Susan Kushner, who is a thought leader in L&D, who has worked at Sterling National Bank, the Girl Scouts of America, and was a manager at J.P. Morgan Chase. Susan is the founder of Quantum Leap and is the co-author of the new book entitled Decoding Executives, What They Say, What They Mean, and What You Should Do. Thanks so much for joining us today, Susan. Well, thanks for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. I want to start us off with the fact that as I was looking at your career history, I noticed a few banks and some other things along the way, but one of the things in the middle that caught my eye was the Girl Scouts. So I want to start with a question about that fascinating organization. What did you learn during your time there, and how do you think it shaped the leader you are today? You're right, Matt. The Girl Scouts is a fascinating place to have worked. It actually, Girl Scouts is in every single zip code in the United States. So it is a organization that many people know of. And in fact, out of three women, I believe that there's at least one woman who has been a Girl Scout, according to statistics. So here's what I learned. If you work at Girl Scouts in the area that I worked in, you're not going to have a hefty budget. I would say in my career, having a hefty budget is not a skill set that naturally came easily to me. But at Girl Scouts, you're definitely not. It's a nonprofit. However, if you can do an interesting project that relates to the mission that doesn't cost much money, then they will let you fly. So what I learned was how to have the vision and how to create the project from that vision. So I'll give you an example. We wanted to do a program that we later called Harnessing the Power of Your Multi-Generational Workforce because Girl Scouts has five generations. Seriously, they have six-year-olds and they have 90-year-olds that help in the organization. So a few of us created a learning map, which is a graphical way to look at whatever the issue is. And it almost looks like Candyland for adults. So we created this program that typically costs $150,000 to do, and that's not a random number. That's really what it takes to create it. And we were able to do it for $5,000. We hired, and all of that money went to an artist. And later, when we had that program, we developed it and gave it at our conventions, which had thousands of women at the conventions that worked with the Girl Scouts. I also did it at a convention for Hamburger University, which, one is, which was one of my dream companies to go and see. And they bought this program and they remodeled it and they gave it to all of their regional managers. And so my lesson learned was in a company like that, instead of being, you know, crying about not having a big budget, you find a different way. And for us, we went to uh, college and we had some students that helped draw this map and then and then you can fly so not to look at it as a barrier but to find a way around it that's what I learned there one thing that I was really interested in before um, getting on this recording with you was to talk about maybe some things that you disagree with that are common beliefs in the field of leadership development more broadly is there anything that you've seen along the years where maybe you think people 
over-index towards, or maybe asked another way, don't do enough. And the common belief is potentially wrong when it comes to something in leadership development. You know, I would say there's a phrase that really irks me in my personal life and my professional life. And, and I'm looking at you, Florida Georgia line, because that, that musical group has made a very famous song using the line I don't like. And that's, if it's meant to be, it will be. I would say almost every good thing that's happened in my life has had me nudging it and shaping it and making it happen. And I'm not exactly a person that sort of necessarily steps in all this stuff that's great. I feel like I've had to position myself and I don't mind. I mean, it's just the way it is, whether it's getting a great job or, um, or even when I was finding my husband, I've been married 30 years, but even finding him, people would say, if it's meant to be, it'll be, I don't believe that. Get out there and nudge it. When you think about your development or your evolution, how do you do that personally? You've spent a lot of your career helping others with that, but you personally, what do you invest in? And then what do you wish you had more time for? I tend to always be interested in what's new and what's changing and where the industry is going. And what I found is if you read a book, you're not going to find it because the books take a long time to write and publish and market. And, and even by the time it gets into my hands, where I found that I can stay most current is either by magazines reading or mostly by going to conferences and conventions and talking with people in the field, because those are the folks that start scratching their heads and saying, hmm, what are you hearing about the gig economy? Or what do you think about artificial intelligence or virtual reality as it relates to learning and development? That's where I think it is. It's almost like uh, I think if we all had this giant Starbucks that we could hang out in and just talk about things, we would all be even that much smarter. I've been surprised as we've heard from some of the listeners of the podcast that there are a lot of people early in their career who are potentially considering learning and development or who are early on in their career in learning and development. What would you give as sort of advice for those that maybe you would have loved to have heard earlier in your career? For me, the advice that I would give was based on, I think, growing up in the D.C. area. In the D.C. area, a lot of people work for the government. And there's often a linear path that people go through. What I found, though, in my career was that there's no such thing as a really linear path where you start at one level and you necessarily work up your way to the senior level. It's more of the career lattice, meaning that you can go in any direction, vertically, horizontally, diagonally. And to not just recognize that, but to embrace it. And the good part of it, again, is it allows you to be more creative. So I would say, examine your skills, figure out best where you might fit, jump in, start splashing around, and then keep an eye out for the different places that you can go and develop. It may not be linear. It may be in a diagonal or even diagonally down in the future but have some fun with it. I have to say, Matt, somewhere along the line, I think that we got way too serious about ourselves, our careers, our assignments. We all know what happens if we don't reach our goals, but I really think we have to make a much more conscientious effort to have fun along the way or and to laugh. 
So let's let's talk about having fun in relation to the book. I, I'm a huge fan of subtitles. I, I, I love your subtitle. What was the rationale for writing the book? And then maybe let's talk a little bit about what you learned along the way. The rationale for writing this book was that over my career, I have seen a lot of things happen that left me with my head. You know, again, I was scratching my head. I didn't understand why they happened because the saying, well, the executive said that that person should do something and then they did it and then the person was wrong wasn't really resonating with me and I figured it's time to dive in. So I'll give you an example. I was leading a session with some emerging talent folks, and these are recent college graduates. And they were in a room with a senior leader and the senior leader was giving an overview. And the energy in the room was palpable. People were just having tons of ideas flying around. It was, the ideas were like popcorn. And the senior leader was very enthusiastic. You could just tell how much fun that he was having in it. And at the end of the session, he said, I've had a great time with you. Please stop by my, my office anytime, bring coffee, and we'll continue this conversation. And the next week, four of them stopped by to continue the conversation, unannounced, big smiles on their face, and that was not what he meant. And what happened was he was embarrassed. They were embarrassed. You know, they had this coffee in their hand. It wasn't a good thing. So that was when I started to think, let's write this book about well-intended people who said something and then what they said and what they meant, it went south somewhere. What, what was the hardest part? We've had a lot of authors on the show and I'm always interested in maybe the writing process or where they stumbled or where was, was there a point where you thought, I just don't know if I can get through this or where, where were the stumbling points along the way? I would say that the writing the stories, even developing the model, all of that came pretty easily to my co-author and myself. Where I thought it was more difficult was the editing of it. You know, when when there were when we had great suggestions for editing, but it was for me, is it a big edit? Is it a small edit? Is it changing the whole context of it? To me, that's where it got a little bit hard. One thing that you and I were talking about before um, we hit record, and I would love for you to share with our audience, is about some of the trends that you see on the horizon for L&D. What are people potentially not prepared enough for? It is an interesting thought, what's coming next? And I'm excited about some of the things that I think will be coming. One of the things that I, I see is more of a gig economy for learning and development. So shorter assignments and maybe with more of a consultative air. I've heard this called the Hollywood style of management where just like a film will have a director and a producer and the actors and they're all convened somewhere like Vancouver, they'll do the film and then they'll disassemble and they'll go somewhere else with different people. I'm seeing more of a trend like that. And if I'm right, we're going to have to work on some of our skills that may not be as strong. So for instance, we're going to have to figure out better ways to assimilate new employees that are going to need to be onboarded. How do we do that? What's the length of time? What is it that they need to know? And we're going to also have to build even stronger project management skills because you're going to have to jump in and start either being a part of the project or managing the project. And the other thing that I see that's changing 
is re-looking at some of the leadership competencies that we all need to have. So for instance, a lot of times I hear people say, I get too many emails and IMs and voicemails and my personal and professional phones. Like I, I have, I counted up the number of phone lines that we have in my house and I think I got up to eight and I probably undercounted. So the best employees to me are the ones that know how to aggregate all this great information to make it meaningful as opposed to complaining about, you know, I got 100 emails here, 50 emails here. I think the best ones need to aggregate it. And then on the other side, we as communicators need to be able to package this stuff in more of a meaningful way, whether it's more of a campaign or short bursts. I'll give you an example. There was a group that I just got contacted with or connected with who does training with uh, Word documents just by using their IMs. That's all they use. And they're extremely popular because of how low tech they are. On the other end of the spectrum, we have virtual reality companies that are starting to get more into our space. And I think that's another place to look at. So I think we need to make sure that we're very aware of what the trends are and to use both of these extremes. This um, text-based learning group, I mean, they're great for developing countries or um, for people who are on the field. And then on the other end, the virtual reality. Well, I have a feeling we're going to be in this hybrid way of working for quite some time. We've got to make it much more interesting for the end user who's sitting on their tuchus all day. That, that is a perfect lead into a question that I wanted to have about the last kind of two years and this experiment that we've all been thrust into with mostly virtual or a switch to hybrid work. What have you learned maybe about yourself, but also about the organization that you worked with more broadly about what it takes to be successful in a virtual first or a hybrid first environment? I think we have to remember that we're all humans and whether we are virtual or in person, there's some things that we need to make sure that we do and do well. So we do need to socialize. We do need to interact. So what does that mean if you're virtual? Well, it means a virtual coffee or doing some different kinds of team building that you can do virtually. I know one of the things that bothered me, but doesn't bother other people, some other people is that I didn't meet a whole lot of new people over the last two years. Whereas in the office, I'd always be seeing new people and introducing. Now, most of the time, it was people that I knew working on similar projects. And I also think we had to get more, we needed to get more creative about the kinds of things that we were doing. So like ability has simulations. That's very important that we do those kinds of things because otherwise it's the talking head just speaking. And that's not what we, what we need now. I also liked that when we did a program and I said to the facilitator, people are just sitting too much. What can we do? Because we have to deliver this program. I'm not asking you to shorten it. And what this instructor did was she said, at the, she said, I'm going to have a 10 minute break. And at eight minutes, if you'd like to join me, we'll turn off our cameras. And for two minutes, we're going to have yoga in our chairs. I thought that was the smartest thing I'd ever heard. And that was one of the ability instructors, by the way. Well, thank you for sharing that. And, and I really love your perspective about how things have changed, maybe what you miss about it and what we can learn from it going forward. As a final question, before I shift to the last two questions that I get to ask all of our guests, if you personally found out that you were working with somebody new on your team and they were taking a leadership role, 
And you could snap your fingers and give that new leader one, maybe just two skills. What two would be at the top of your list that you think would make them very successful? Let's see, two skills that a new person would need. I would say it is to first start by going on a listening tour. And with the listening tour, you find out what's working and what's not working so that that person knows how to best position whatever their role is into the fabric that's already there. That's one thing. The other thing that I would say in terms of a skill is I'll go back to the fun thing. Have fun while you're doing it. I think that in most companies that I've been in, most of the time, good people are hired, good people who know their stuff. But the people who get others to listen to them are the ones that have more fun and generate more fun, hmm. you know, and, and that's, I think, sometimes what we lose when we get very serious in our roles. And even in the hybrid role, it can happen more. Well, leaning into fun is a wonderful spot to shift to our final two rapid fire questions that I get to ask all of our guests. And question number one is this, if you could describe your personal leadership style in just one word, what would that word be? My style, I would say flexible. And here's what I strive to do. I, oh, I'm very results oriented, but that's two words. I always set the goals, have milestones, and I have check-ins with the employees. But how the employee gets to the finish line is up to them. So I really want to strive to support them how they want to be supported. If they want lots of check-ins, I'll be available. If they want to do it themselves and they don't need many check-ins, I'm okay with that too. So that's how I would say flexible. And the final rapid fire question is this, what is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? Well, I would say the best piece, one that really resonates with me is from Maya Angelou, when she said, do the best you can until you know better. Then when you know better, do better. Because to me, that's very forgiving. We make a lot of mistakes along the way, and there's almost always a road back to it. Um, that's why when people say, what mistakes have you made? I've made tons of them. But is it a mistake if it's corrected, if you did your best when that's what you knew? I'm not so sure it is. So I love how she framed it, because that's saying, you know, we're assuming good intent, and that's very important. And you did your best, and we know that you had good intent. And now you'll do better because you know better. So I love that. And I thank her for that. That is a wonderful spot to close us out. Thank you so much for joining us today, Susan. Where can our listeners find out more about you? I would say the best place to go would be my LinkedIn profile. I've written a number of articles and they're posted there. And I'd be happy to chat with anybody who'd likes to. Well, thank you for all of the great insight. And as always, thanks to our wonderful listeners for joining us. If you enjoyed today's show, we would love a rating and review in your podcast app of choice, and we truly appreciate it when you share our show with your network. You can find me on social media at Matthew Confer. You can find our show on Instagram at Ability Sims, and you can find our organization at Ability.com. I want to thank Susan again for joining us on this episode, and of course, I want to thank all of you for joining us on the Learn to Lead podcast. This podcast is produced by Ability, a leading provider of award-winning leadership development. You can find us at www.ability.com or by searching for Ability Leadership Development. Make sure to also check out our 12-week fully virtual mini MBA, 
the Invited MBA, a nights and weekends program that features experiential learning, mentorship, case studies, and networking. Find more information at www.invitedmba.com. Finally, be sure to subscribe to our podcast so that you get our next episode. We want to thank you all for joining us on the Learn to Lead podcast.